This is our last Sunday of looking at ways we worship. And as you can see, we're going to do something a little different today. So turn in your Bibles to Psalm 122. Today, uh, up until today, the ways we worship have all been elements of our service. Singing, praying, communion, baptism, things like that. Um, This time, I'm taking ways to mean more how we worship. And there's tons of adverbs we could put on there. We could say we worship joyfully, we worship excitedly, we worship heartfelt. But today, I want to talk about that we worship together. I want to talk today about why do we gather together? Why do we all come together in this room every week and and do all these things that we've talked about doing. We talked about why doing them is good and how God's commanded them and everything else. But, but why do we get together and do them? And there's tons of places in scripture we could go to and look at this because like all the other ones, the answer to why do we do it is because God said so. It's commanded. If you look in Acts chapter two, we see the early church doing this. And the, the weeks after Jesus has ascended back into heaven, it says they're gathering in the, the courtyards of the temple, which are large and they could come, lots of them could come to. And they're gathering in smaller groups in homes throughout the week that the church is doing this. Um, but then just 20 or 25 years later, the writer of Hebrews has to say to the folks he's writing to, hey, don't stop getting together. It's important, don't stop doing it. Because, you know, like us, they're busy and stuff goes on and and life is full of all sorts of unexpected realities. And the churches to whom the writer of Hebrews is writing, we don't know who wrote it, but whoever that was, what they say to these churches, one of the things is, you need to keep getting together. Don't stop, this is important. Um, So I wanna look at today from the Old Testament. Why do we get together? There's tons of stuff in the New Testament. Let's look at something in the Old Testament because they also were commanded to get together. And again, why do we do it? God said so. But I mean why more in the sense of like, what should we expect? What's going on inside us? What should be happening when we get together? So if you look at Psalm 122, you'll notice right under the title, Psalm 122, it says something like my Bible says, a song of ascents of David, or a, psal- a, a psalm of ascents. The word psalm just means song, or a song of going up, or something like that. So you've heard me say before that all the little titles and the chapters and the numbers, none of that's in the original writings. So I'm going to flip open to Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 15, there's a little thing over the top of it that says the interpretation of a dream, and then next we've got this big eight for chapter eight, and Daniel's vision of a ram and a goat, and None of that is, Daniel didn't write any of that. Daniel just wrote. He started at the beginning and he wrote it. We added all those things, the numbers so we can track them easily. So I can say to you things like, look at verse four. And we all know exactly where verse four is because we've written a little four next to it. And all those little headings at the top of the paragraphs. But this part, a song of ascents of David, in the Psalms, the things you read under the title, those are in the original Bible. Like David wrote that. When they wrote the Psalms, they put those, which is why sometimes in your Bible, it'll say in the Psalms, oh, verses one through 10 in the English Bible are verses two through 11 in the Hebrew Bible, because that is the first verse of the Psalm. That's the very beginning. This is a song of ascents. So David's telling us why he wrote this. In the Old Testament law, three times a year, you were required to go to Jerusalem for a worship service. 
usually a week-long celebration. There are three festivals and you are required to gather in Jerusalem. Everybody has to go. And Jerusalem is up on a high, high hill. So whether you come at it from north, south, east, or west, you are walking up. And so these are songs of ascent, songs of when you're going up to Jerusalem. So anybody ever take a car trip with your family and you sang to pass the time? That's what these are. From 120 to 134, these are songs to teach your kids to sing as you are making the trip up to Jerusalem. Because again, no matter where you come from, Jerusalem is up. And they, they develop different themes. They tell us different things that are going on. This one, notice what David says. Notice the parts about coming up to Jerusalem for this festival. We don't know which one of the three it is, but it's one of these three big festivals where the whole country is supposed to be there. Follow along with me as I read it and notice the things David says about what's gonna happen when they gather, when they all get together. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. So, what's the very first thing David says? I rejoiced with those who said to me, let's go. Right? David says he was excited about gathering. Other people, whoever his companions are, whoever says this to him, they're excited about gathering. The people would be traveling up, they would be singing this song, and David says, this is how we start. This is great. I am excited about this. I mean, when's the last time you heard somebody say that? I am excited about going to church. I'm excited about getting together with other Christians. We have fallen in, it seems, to this idea that we have to go to church. Okay, okay yes, it is a command. You do have to. But David doesn't seem to think he has to. I mean, he does. We'll see that in a minute. He'll say that. But the way he starts is, I get to. I get to gather with all God's people. I'm excited about that. The folks with me are excited about that. We are gonna journey up to Jerusalem. We're gonna be together with all of God's people in one place. We're gonna have this giant worship service, celebration to God. And David says, I am excited about that. And then verse two he imagines that they're there. He doesn't tell us anything about the journey. Some of the other ones do. If you look back at Psalm 121, I lift my eyes up to the hills. We think they sang that on the final day because Jerusalem's up in the hills. That you can see Jerusalem from miles away. We think they're singing that, that last day as they're coming up to Jerusalem. And it's all about asking for God to protect them in the journey. This one, he doesn't tell us anything about the journey. It's just boom, we're there. Our feet are standing in your gate, Jerusalem. And I love this. Don't, don't ever anyone let, let anyone tell you the Bible is not funny. What's the first thing he says? He's come to Jerusalem. The gates are open. He looks at the city. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. 
What that means is it's so jammed full of people. It is so packed. I mean, we don't know how many people lived in Jerusalem, but it seemed like it was a big city in David's day. But the whole country is there. I mean, it hasn't doubled in size or quadrupled in size. It's gone up like 10 times. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, Dunwoody has like, what, 28,000 people? Can you imagine packing a quarter of a million people into Dunwoody for a week? The first thing he says when he walks through the gates is, wow, it's crowded in here. Oh my gosh, this is full of people. This is where the tribes, right? All of them. This is where all the tribes come together, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord. That's what we're doing. He's excited to be here. They're gonna praise God. It's a week-long celebration. But notice what he says at the end of verse four. To praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. Like David knows this is a command. This is not a suggestion. It's not optional. God didn't say, hey, I'm throwing a big party. Come if you want. God said, you will come to Jerusalem three times a year. He says the exact times you need to come down to the day, how long you're gonna stay, what you're gonna do in that week. It is a statute. It is prescribed. And notice what he says next in verse five. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Like he knows this is a command and he knows there's judgment if you don't follow it. Right? Both of those things are true for David. As he, I mean, maybe he's thinking back to when being a kid doing this. Maybe he's doing this as, as the king. We don't know where in his life he's writing this. But as he imagines himself or as he remembers himself coming into Jerusalem thronged with people, they're just everywhere. It's like jammed together. He is excited. We get to praise God. This is going to be great. And he knows this is commanded. And there is judgment if you don't follow it. Like both of those things are true for him. It's not just an exciting religious festival, although it's absolutely an exciting religious festival. It's also a statute. It's a law. It's a command that, that both those things are true. And I want to read you something. We read this in 1 Corinthians. This is Paul talking about church, talking about when we all get together in church he says in 1 Corinthians 14, I'm gonna, this is in verse 23 and down, if the whole church comes together and an unbeliever or a seeker comes in while everyone is prophesying, and prophesying for them is teaching, it's talking to each other, it's instruction. While everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare so they will fall down and worship God exclaiming, God is really among you. Something happens when God's people gather, when God's people obey him and do what he said. Something happens that there is, there's judgment in terms of if you don't do it, there's judgment. And Paul seems to say there's good judgment. There's judgment brought on people that don't know God, that they come in to God's presence while we're teaching, while we're singing. Paul says as we sing, if you remember, we instruct one another, we speak to one another in that. People come in and see that who don't know God. And Paul says, there's judgment there, and that's really good. They know that they're not followers of God. They know that God is here. David sees both those things as he comes into Jerusalem for this festival where they're all gathering together. It's all God's people coming together. He sees both the joy and the excitement of praising God, and he sees the awe and the 
judgment that happens there. And then if your Bible, depending on how your Bible is formatted, um, like mine has a gap here between verses five and six because all the verbs change. Before this, it was all past and present tense. Everything shifts now to being future tense because David is shifting. He's been talking first, one through five, is all about what's happening in him, right? I'm excited to go. Wow, it's crowded in here. And all the tribes, they're all here. We're here to praise the Lord. And it's commanded and there's judgment if you don't. All that is happening in David. And now he's gonna turn and he's gonna respond to that. You know, and I tried to think as I was preparing the sermon, like, okay, how would I respond to that? What would my response be to these things? And I don't know, but it wouldn't be his. Because his response to these two realities, the the joy of going up and gathering with God's people, the excitement of worshiping God together with others, and the awe that that God is just, and as the writer of Hebrews, one of the guys that tells us we have to meet together, says in another place, our God is a consuming fire. The awe of being in God's presence and knowing God's laws and judgment are there. David's response in verse six is pray for the peace of Jerusalem. When those two realities for him, as he comes to worship, as he comes to church, what comes out of him is pray for peace. Now, peace here is the Hebrew word, you've probably heard it, shalom. And it doesn't mean peace like absence of war or we're not in conflict or, or everything's smoothed over. This word peace is not an absence of something, it's, it's something being there. It means fullness or it means flourishing, or wholeness. It's this hard word to translate, because it, it, it's so broad, it encompasses so much. The opposite of shalom is chaos. Stuff just happens, and you have no idea why, and you have no control over it. In shalom, everything works together. It's all good. Everything works in a way that people flourish, and they grow. And he says, these, these two realities for him, just the joy of God and also the awe of God, when he they comes together, is shalom. We need shalom. We need to pray for flourishing. We need to pray for God to do all these good things in the body. And the second half of six and seven is his prayer. Those two may, at least in my translation, may those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadel. Now, When David writes this, and when he's imagining this happening, right, that he's there for the festival, who's inside the walls of Jerusalem? Everybody. All of God's people are inside the walls. That's the command. You've got to come. Everybody is there, except God's not stupid, and he's not a jerk. There are exceptions. If you are sick, you don't have to make the journey. The journey they make, depending on where you live, is between a couple hours and three days. The farthest place from Jerusalem in David's time, this is a time of peace and prosperity. The borders are secure. You don't have to worry. I mean, you can just make good time. The farthest place from from Jerusalem walking is about three days. So I can guarantee you, Everyone coming to Jerusalem here, I mean, if you're from Bethlehem, which is, you know, just not that far away, it's where David was born, it's a three to four hour journey. Everyone here came further than you did to go to church. I guarantee it, right? And some of you come like 
astronomical distances to me, which is like 45 minutes. So thank you. Thank you for coming all that way. These guys, wow, they would have loved a 45-minute trip because for most of the country, it's one to three days for them to come. And David says, may there be peace within your walls, security within your citadels. That's everybody who's come. But there's lots of people who haven't. Some, because they're in those exceptions. If you're sick, you don't have to come. If you're pregnant, you don't have to come. If you're nursing, you don't have to come. If you're on military service, you don't have to come. There's all these lists of exceptions. There's gonna be a lot of people who aren't there because they hit the exceptions. And then there's gonna be a lot of people there who just don't wanna come. It's just not worth it to them. They don't care. And the first thing David prays is, may those who love you be secure. So he gets everybody inside, all the people who have obeyed and come, they're in the walls and he prays peace for them. And he prays peace for everybody who loves God. I think because he knows there's a bunch of people out there that they would be there if they could. If they hadn't just had a baby, they'd be there. If they weren't sick, they'd be there. If they weren't nursing, they'd be there. But they can't. The the, the circumstances of life have constrained them and so they can't come. And David prays for them as well. May all, may those who love you be secure. David prays for all the people who care about this, all the people who are there and all the people who would be there. And then look at seven and eight because this is where he tells us why he's praying. Like this is his purpose. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace, shalom, be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. Two different groups. David says, here's here's why I'm praying. For the sake of my family and friends. For the sake of people. I'm praying shalom. I want there to be wholeness. I want there to be prosperity and and security and flourishing for the people who care about you, God, for the people who've obeyed and come, for the people who would have obeyed if they could, but they can't. And isn't it interesting? He also prays for the house of God itself. So you've heard me say through all of this, we've talked about what, what happens when we do these things, right? Most of these things, we don't do just for ourselves. Remember we talked about singing. I ask you, okay, why do you sing? Well, okay, why do, we, why do we sing when we come together? It's commanded. God says to do it. Okay, so we do it, full stop. But why? Why do you sing? And I said, the reason most people, the answer most people give to that is I enjoy it. Great, amen. I do too. That's a good thing. But scripture never says sing because you enjoy it. Scripture says, sing because God's commanded it. Sing because it builds up your brothers and sisters. When we sing, remember Paul said, we are building up the people around us. We're not building up ourselves. We're not singing for ourselves. So it doesn't matter whether you like singing or not. Doesn't matter whether you're good at singing or not. Doesn't matter whether you get anything out of singing or not. We sing because it builds up the other people around us. Remember that quote I told you from a worship leader who was asked, you know, does it ever bother you? The service is an hour long and you only get like 10 minutes of it to sing. And he just laughed and said, only 10 minutes. You give me 10 minutes to sing God's praise with God's people. Oh, I will make hell sorry it came in the building that morning. That's why we sing. Because for some of you, today's been great. For some of you, today's fine. And for some of you, today's awful. 
because hell is after you. It has oppressed you and it has followed you in here. I mean, Jesus kicks out lots of demons who are in the synagogue. Hell does not mind coming into this building. It has followed you in here. And we sing to send it right out. We sing to tell hell it needs to leave now. It's just gonna get worse. You can't do that for yourself, but we can do it for you. David prays for the people because that's what we do. We sing, we pray. It's encouraging. I hope you are encouraged when we take communion to be in the lines and to see everybody. Do you ever wonder why we don't just pass it? Why don't we just, you know, pass it out and go back and forth? Because I'm encouraged watching all of you in line. I hope you are as well. I hope you feel part of something to see all these people going to all these stations, all getting the bread, getting the cup. And that's why we take it all together usually. It's encouraging. We encourage each other. It's encouraging to watch someone get baptized. It's encouraging to see someone affirm the things that you affirm. To say, yes, I believe this, and look, they believe this too. We do these things just like David prays, for the sake of my family and my friends. We do these things because it is good for one another. We, we build one another up when we do this. But he also prays for the house of the Lord God yourself. He, he prays for the place. Now you have heard me say over and over again, the building is not the church. I mean, we are super grateful to have it, but if a hurricane or a tornado or a, you know, what do they call it when the ground splits, an open earthquake, if this is gone next week, if, we, if, if on Wednesday this building is picked up by some freak of nature and blown into Lake Lanier, Dunwoody Community Church will still meet next Sunday. We may meet out there in the parking lot. We may meet in a basement of some church. We may rent some space. But Dunwoody Community Church is not this building. It's these people. And so we say right now we're the church gathered. But an hour from now we're going to be the church scattered. But we're still the church. The building's not the church. But the church isn't just the people. Right? Dunwoody Community Church, it has a personality. It has a life. There's, I've told you there's two, there's two DCCs in Dunwoody. There's Dunwoody Community Church and there's Dunwoody Country Club. Some of you may belong to Dunwoody Country Club. We could all belong to Dunwoody Country Club. That would never make Dunwoody Country Club and Dunwoody Community Church the same thing. Even if it was all the same people. The church has an identity of its own, like the house of the Lord your God. David says, when we gather, one of the things we're doing, it's not just prosperity for the individuals, it's prosperity for the church. For all of us together, gathered, scattered, it's prosperity for this church that he's praying for. He, he, he's praying both for all the individuals, my family, my friends, but also for the house of God itself, for, for the church. That includes this place, it, it includes all of us. It's everything that goes in to Dunwoody Community Church. David has these inward realities as he gathers of both the awe of God and God's judgment and the, the joy of going to worship him and praise him. And what comes out of him then is a desire for shalom, 
a desire for things to flourish. And that's why we've all these things. That's why we do all these things together because they help us to flourish. There's days I come in here and I don't know how in the world I am gonna get up and preach because I am beaten down. But then I sit there and we sing. And I know some of you are praying for me. And then somebody gets up and prays for me. And so I get up and I stand here and I preach because you have built me back up. If I had to come in here on those days and just walk straight up here and start preaching, wow, that would be rough. You all build me up. We, we, we build up each other. We build in shalom, flourishing, wholeness, things going right. That's what happens when we gather, both for us as people and individuals, but also for DCC, for Dunwoody Community Church. I wanna read you something that I read as I was researching this. This is a a guy writing to, to pastors about the pandemic and what's happened in churches and church attendance going down and, and everything else. Um, I thought that, like this, I thought captured what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to develop in, in you as I talk about these things. So again, it's, it, it's a little long, but let me read it to you. Let me admit, I don't know your situation. I don't know the laws you're under or what health risks remain for you personally. Therefore, I wanna leave space for differing circumstances and differing consciences. Providential hindrances are real. If the flu keeps you home from work, then you stay home and you don't feel guilty. At the same time, you know that staying away from your work over time will hurt your job. So you have to get back to work as soon as you can. Likewise, as you think through your own church attendance, maybe you remain providentially hindered from attending. The Lord shows mercy and grace. He makes provision for the stranded, the soldier, the shut-in, the high-risk senior saint. But as you weigh out all the variables, I want to leave a pebble in your shoe. If you can't attend, I want you to be a little frustrated that you can't be there, lest you get comfortable. If you're not frustrated, something is wrong. The Lord has commanded us not to forsake gathering together. That's the Hebrews 10 passage I told you about. An absence from gathering does not affect our spiritual state, even if we have a lit, an absence from gathering does affect our spiritual state, even if we have a legitimate reason for not attending, like being sick or being quarantined. Jesus designed Christianity and the progress of our discipleship to center around gathering. The math is therefore simple. Gathering with the church is spiritually good for you. Not physically gathering with the church spiritually hurts you. And I will add, physically gathering with the church is good for others and it's good for the church. And not gathering is harmful to others and it's harmful to the church. I told you the story about a friend of mine who went to a wedding of someone on his wife's side and though his wife's family all lives here in Atlanta, she was the only member of her family that attended that wedding. And all the other members, brothers and sisters and whatnot, they, they watched it, it was live stream. Oh, and they put up on Facebook how wonderful it was and how great it was to be there and to enjoy it and to get to celebrate with them. And he said, you know, for them, there was no difference. They saw us, they saw everything that happened and so they thought that was as good as being there. But for those of us who were there, he said, everyone noticed that no one else showed up but my wife. 
their absence was felt in the, in the gathering. It wasn't felt on TV. It wasn't felt by them. They weren't missing anything as far as they were concerned. But the people who gathered to celebrate this wedding, wow, they knew that no one from this family but this one woman had come to attend. Gathering together is good for you and it is good for us and it is good for DCC. And not gathering is harmful to you and it's harmful to us and it's harmful to DCC. I love what he says. I wanna leave a pebble in your shoe because it's true. Like we figure there's about 200 people who would call Dunwoody Community Church their church home. Well, you know, just sort of looking at different things and people who come and people who give and people who attend different things. We think there's about 200 people in this church. But on a Sunday, there's 100 to 120 people in this church. Where's the other 40%? Okay, watching. And some of you are providentially constrained. You cannot come. You wish you could. You have that pebble. You feel it. Amen. That's why we filmed this and put it up. But some of you, talking to the camera, some of you just don't want to come. <laughs> all right? Let me encourage you of all the good that happens when we gather together. And let me encourage you to all that doesn't happen when we don't gather together. It's not the same. What David feels in this psalm he feels that because he gathers, because he's there with God's people. The things he prays that he, he wants to have happen. He wants to have them happen because he's gathered together. But let me leave you with a pebble in your shoe. There are times we can't get together. Heck, it's the summer. I'm not gonna be here every Sunday. I also am gonna travel and do things. But there's gonna be that slight regret that I don't get to see you that Sunday. I'm gonna to go to a church somewhere else if I can on Sunday morning. But there's gonna be that slight regret that it's not you all. It's not my church. It's not the songs that we sing and the people that I see. I'm gonna meet all sorts of people and shake all sorts of hands on those Sundays. But I'm not gonna shake your hand. And I'm not gonna hear from you. Let me leave you with a pebble. Do, do, you, do you feel what David feels? When you gather, do you feel the excitement and the joy? Wow, and also the awe. Like This is a command. This is a big deal to God that we gather. There is so much in the scriptures about our gatherings. We've been talking about it for the last six weeks. Do you feel both that, that joy and that awe? Do you come out of this with a desire for shalom, for each other? Right? You don't, you don't want to sing. Oh, but you're gonna because it builds each other up. You know? You're not getting baptized, but you're excited because someone else is. I want you to come. I want you to feel that pebble when you're not here. I want you to feel those realities when you are and to desire the flourishing of all of us and the flourishing of DCC. That this church would be everything Jesus wants her to be and do everything Jesus wants us to do that that would be true for each of us as individuals and it would be true for us all together. So I'm gonna do what I always do. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna ask God's spirit to speak to you. 
Like, do, do you have those two things when you come? Is it, is it both joyful and, and a, a little awe-inspiring? I mean, do you have that desire for shalom, both for your, your brothers and sisters as, as well as for Dunwoody Community Church itself? I'm gonna ask the Spirit to speak to you. Is there anything in there that he wants to talk to you about? Is there anything you ought to change? Is he happy with all you're doing? You know, this isn't a guilt trip. He may say, great, I'm proud of you, keep it up. But I'm gonna ask God's Spirit to speak to you. And then we'll do what we always do. We will together take communion as a community. As all of us as individuals, we will individually take it. And all of us together as Dunwoody Community Church, we will take it together. So pray with me. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you. I mean, you set this up. It wasn't us. You set up that things happen when we are together. That's what you told us. When two or more of you are gathered, I am with you that there is something important for you that we get together with each other. And I I think we all know that. We all miss it, I hope, when we don't have it in some fashion. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for me. I pray that, that Holy Spirit, you would speak to us now. That that as, as I pray, then as we take communion, then as we sing again, that you would be speaking to us. Do, Do we value this the way we should? Is it both joyful and awe-inspiring? Does it, does it bring out in us this desire for shalom, for flourishing, for the, the, the flourishing of all our brothers and sisters, for the peace and the prosperity and the, the security for all our brothers and sisters here and for the church itself? Holy Spirit, as we pray, as we take communion, as we sing, speak to us. Is there anything you want us to change? Is there anything you want us to to change in in how we feel, what we think, how we act? Please tell us. We want to change. We want to obey you. Just as David said, this is a statute and there's judgment. We want to obey. We want to be like you, Jesus. We are so grateful for what you have done for us. We will celebrate that again in a moment. But I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would guide and direct us, that we would value being together as your church in all the ways that you want us to, and that that would move in us, that what would flow out of us from that is shalom, that we build each other up, that we encourage each other, that, that others flourish because we have gathered with them. Thank you so much for your kindness, Lord. You could do all this yourself. You don't need us. Your spirit could do all this in us And we would never have the encouragement and the joy of helping one another. Thank you. You share your glory with us. You could get all the praise. But instead, you let us minister to each other. You let us gather together. You let us encourage one another. That's really kind of you. Help us, Holy Spirit, to value it and act on it as we should. And Jesus, as we always do, we pray all of this in your name because we love you and we're yours. Amen. Now, as always, we'll celebrate. I hope after we've talked about communion a few weeks ago, talked about being together now, that that it will mean something to you. As you're standing in the lines or as you're sitting waiting, just notice that that we're all there. That, That Jesus church, Jesus people, we're all there getting this little piece of bread, this little cup, that reminds us of what he did because he did it for all of us. He did it for me, he did it for you, he did it for us, he did it for Dunwoody Community Church. 
So let me pray for us. And then when I'm done praying, just get up. There's stations in all four corners. There's gluten-free down here if you need it. Get the bread, get the cup. Take it back to your seat, hold it for a minute. I'll lead us and we'll take it together. So let's pray. I thank you, Lord. So we always say here, thank you. You didn't have to do this. You could have been just, but instead you were also merciful. So as Paul says, you are both just and the one who justifies those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you. We are so grateful for your kindness. Holy Spirit, as we take communion this morning, I pray you would work in our hearts that we take it together. Though each of us has their own piece of bread and their own cup, we are your people. We are Dunwoody Community Church. We are part of the great church around the world. We are part of your body here in this place now. Thank you. Holy Spirit, work in us, remind us, give us eyes to see that we all take this together because of what you have done for each of us and for all of us. Thank you. So we pray in your name, Jesus, always in your name. Amen.